Hey folks, let's spend some time with friends up north. Pat Kreitlow of Up North News is on Lake Wissota. Sarah Yacoub with the Monaco Brewing Company Super Pack is on the Mississippi River. And up on Lake Monaco is Kirk Bangstead of the Monaco Brewing Company. Wherever you are, welcome. You're up north. Won't you let me die? Hello and welcome to the Up North Podcast. I'm Kirk Bangstead. I'm Sarah Yacoub. And I'm Pat Kreitlow. On the show this week, some ideas to help support Wisconsin's local neighborhood public schools. Ideas that would come in handy after more than 10 years of attacks and cuts and hostility and more from the Republican-led Wisconsin legislature. We will also have a legislative Democrat on to talk about the need to keep pressure up for prosecuting those fake electors who tried to hijack our 2020 election. And uh, he'll also share some ideas he got from the Twitterverse on how the state should handle its expected budget surplus. But um, first off, in in our neck of the woods, we had a surplus of snow. Uh, Only, what, 48 hours after the temps were in the 40s, you know, kind of flirting with 50. So, you know, got to love the theater of seasons here. But it got me wondering because of a strange metamorphosis that's happening to me that I thought I would check on your guys' preferred method of getting snow out of the way. And I'm betting you don't, neither one of you pays the neighborhood kid, you know, 50 cents to do it. So you do it yourself. You contract it out, snowblower, shovel. What's your, what's your weapon of choice? My strapping husband uh, with big muscles that melt me like butter. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. That, now, that was a good answer. That's oh, nice. Yep. I, I have to say, Pat, uh, I got a guy. <laughs> You got, you got a guy. <laughs> I mean, I have, I have, a, I have a rest. I had a restaurant. He had to do the parking lot, so I'm like, come on, just do my driveway too. Yeah. Okay. Good point. I, I've realized I'm turning into my neighbor who's been retired for many years now, and uh, I like that thing black. I, I don't just have a shovel. I have a blade as well that I push along to really get it off of there. Um, it's, it's kind of sad. I mean. I, then I go, you know, I, I, I look at the birds in the bird feeder. I get a glass of Metamucil. It's uh, winter's <laughs> been rough for those of us who are aging rapidly. Um, I mentioned that we were going to talk about uh, schools in large part today. And I, I got to tell you, some of the headlines have not been great recently on schools. Let me start outside of Wisconsin for a minute. Uh, Governor Greg Abbott in Texas has ordered under threat of criminal prosecution, all teachers, doctors, and nurses have to report trans children so that the Texas Family and Protective Services Department can investigate trans children and prosecute their parents for what he calls child abuse. Now back to Wisconsin, where a so-called parental bill of rights is making the rounds, which says that parents have the quote-unquote right to determine a student's names, pronouns, and religion. Oh, and the Wisconsin Assembly was voting Wednesday on a bill that finally does something about school shootings. The bill would protect gun makers. It would protect gun makers from being taken to court by shooting victims or the loved ones of of who were murdered. So guys, if you don't mind, I took the liberty of writing a commercial for the Republican Party uh, that I'd like to present. And and maybe if you like it, you can take it to your local Republican officials and see what they think. So here we go. I I should have had a music bed with this. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, kids, do you think you should have the right to control your name? What somebody calls you? Are you or a friend seeking control over your pronouns and gender? Do you think you should control your religion? 
Well, even if you have a bad relationship with your parents or none at all, Wisconsin Republicans want you to have squad douche for control over these highly personal things. Although, hey, it's not like you're in Texas where your parents could be arrested for child abuse for things like this. But don't you worry that Republicans don't care about important school issues. Just because you have no control over intimate details of your life, and just because the GOP is doing everything possible to keep COVID-19 running rampant through schools, they do care about the issue of school shootings. By making sure that if you're shot, you can't sue gun makers for marketing their products to people who are at a risk for public safety. That's the Republican Party working hard to also make sure Wisconsin teachers can't say words like white supremacy, structural bias, systemic racism, multiculturalism, and of course, patriarchy. So having set up that discussion, we'll talk more about schools later in the program, starting with Senator Chris Larson next. You're up north. If I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy you a house. I would buy you a house. And if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars. Welcome back to the Up North podcast and welcome to State Senator Chris Larson, Senator from Southeastern Wisconsin, including the historic Third Ward, Franklin, Bayview, St. Francis, Cudahy, South Milwaukee. Oh, hey, come on, hey now. You can always tell the ones from the western part of the state there, Chris. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> nice to have you here. We're, our bumper music was If I Had a Million Dollars, because uh, the, the big question you were asked on Twitter is, you know, if I had three billion dollars, um, because we know the uh, Republicans in the legislature, they want to sit on that surplus and maybe uh, use it with a Republican governor to give tax cuts to the wealthy. Governor Evers has put out his proposals. Uh, we thought it was pretty cool that you just put out there on Twitter, uh, if 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 you could do something with the $3 billion or so, you would blank. And then people filled in the blank. And you did a nice video with me over at Up North News WI on Facebook, right. you know, with some of the answers. Um, so you don't have to read, the, you know, read those off uh, like you did before. But what were some of the ideas uh, that people gave that impressed you? Yeah, I thought it was. And what's interesting is when we originally posted, you're right, it was closer to three billion. And now the number is actually closer to three point eight billion with a B dollars of a surplus that's projected. Um, and I can tell you, you know, people had a wide range of, of things that, that they'd like to see, most of them selfless, um, uh, which is good. That's what we should be doing for the state funding, fully funding our schools, uh, making sure that teachers got a raise that got attention. Uh, fixed shared revenue, which is a very, you know, um, uh, somebody who's very, very, very much paying attention to what's happening in government about shared revenue uh, to stop starving cities. Uh, we had somebody who wanted to build 100 skate parks. Is your like number? The skate parks idea. The you know, you got to have recreation. We don't have a skate park lobby uh, uh, registered <laughs> in the state, but. We do now. Um, if somewhere did, on Twitter is right. the official skate park lobbyist for the state of Wisconsin. Yeah. You know? <laughs> exactly. You got to start somewhere. That's right. Um, so, yeah, all of these things got added out there and it's it's pretty awesome. Right. More camp uh, uh, outback uh, backpacking campsites, uh, which is cool. Right. That is something I think a lot of people know about Wisconsin. So it was good. Um, nobody, though, interestingly enough, followed what is actually happening, which is uh, to say, sit on it and cross your fingers and hope that Tony Evers gets voted out of office so Republicans can give it to their uh, their special interest buddies, which that, 
They didn't come up at all? No, no, nobody. Hmm. No, even in this open forum, you thought you'd had one troll or two in there to say that, but no, nobody said it. But unfortunately, uh, that's exactly what's happening, right? They're they're sitting on this and doing nothing with it. No. Uh, And again, this is a a Republican-led legislature that had a massive rainy day fund that's been built up and didn't touch it in the rainiest period of, of our lifetimes, going through a pandemic with record high unemployment. They didn't touch it then. They're not touching it now to, to reinvest. And uh, again, just hoping to turn it into you know uh, targeted tax cuts for the wealthy next year, most likely. Hey, we're also going to, uh, Senator Chris Larson is with us, talk in a bit about the package of bills you and your Senate colleague, Jeff Smith, and, and Assembly Rep. Joni Emerson from Eau Claire uh, put forward called the Teaching as a Profession Package. But We want to take a few minutes before that to talk about another issue uh, near and dear to our hearts. We know it's something very important to you, and that is holding to account uh, the fraudulent electors uh, and uh, as well digging further into the roles that um, state senator turned Congressman Scott Fitzgerald played in that Mm. and the roles that former senator turn Congressman Tom Tiffany and U.S. Senator Ron Johnson have played before, during, and since the January 6th insurrection. So with all of that as a setup, uh, tell, tell us what you're doing and, and, and what you're, you're seeking to try to um, get this sense of accountability and justice uh, rolling a little faster. Yeah, it is. This is something that I think stunned a lot of, of people, even though that the, the actions that you're referring to happened now over a year ago, 14 months ago, when uh, the Republicans decided to pick up on the, the big lie in the first action actually happened right here in the state, uh, where you had Senator Fitzgerald at the time uh, reserve a room for the uh, electors to meet in the state capitol. Um in order to cast their ballots fraudulently, I'd add for emphasis, uh, for Donald Trump, despite uh, despite him losing the statewide election, despite all legal remedies having been exhausted, um, including that day, the 14th of December, 2020, a Supreme Court ruling that uh, the recounts had failed and that there were no other legal remedies and uh, Donald, or that uh, Joe Biden was the rightful winner of our 10 electoral votes. They decided to, to commit uh, what I would argue is the largest case of voter fraud in the state of Wisconsin, where they sought not to just you know, cast their ballots here, but these are special. These are the electoral ballots, the ones that actually count towards where Wisconsin's votes go. So trying to overturn the entire election uh, and have Wisconsin go the opposite way. Um, so this is a clear case of, of, of fraud um, where they uh, sign these pieces of paper saying that they uh, were the rightful electors when they weren't and they knew they weren't. Um, so now it's just a question of, of if that's going to be prosecuted. And um, it, when we originally scheduled this, this hadn't happened. But as of Monday, Law Forward um, actually petitioned the district attorney of Dane County. Uh, to investigate this matter further. So that is one of the three options that are still out there um, to be pursued to make sure that each of these 10 uh, fraudulent electors is held accountable um, for their attempt to overturn democracy in Wisconsin. Thank you so much, Senator. This is Kirk uh, uh, chiming in. Um, 
So you gave a great rundown of the for the fraudulent electors, and I think that's ex- about exactly where our listeners kind of needed to needed to go. That 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 law forward is kind of our like knights in shining armor here. That are kind of it's a nonprofit group fighting for democracy. A bunch of lawyers who uh, are t- are trying to find um, accountability in every way they can. Uh, if it's not going to be in Milwaukee with the DA there, it's not going to be with our attorney general. Maybe it might be in Dane County. Um, I'd like to switch and talk to uh, talk to you about um, these three congressmen and our U.S. senator. And I wanted to add one more. It's a guy running for the third congressional district. His name is Derek Van Orden. Uh, I yeah. call them the I call them the gang of four because Derek Van Orden was also uh, he used his campaign funds to take himself to the January 6th insurrection. And he is a retired Navy SEAL, uh, which, you know, it's it, there's 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 a little smoke there. And it seems like Wisconsin, you know, should do something to see if there's fire with Ron Johnson, Tom Tiffany, Fitzgerald and and Van Orden. What do, what do you think about this? Right. I mean, I think you're you're absolutely right to ask this. And we've been hearing about it a whole a whole lot more um, since, you know, we we did this open records request to discover that Scott Fitzgerald reserved the room. And that's not you know, we'll, we reserve rooms at the Capitol for uh, constituents and folks all the time. But um the difference for this is this was a time where the Capitol was closed. This was in the heat of COVID, in the, the heat of the pandemic, before there was a vaccine readily available. Um, and it was specifically for the Republican Party for this purpose. And it's no uh, small thing that it was Scott Fitzgerald that did it because, of course, as you know, as you kind of alluded to, um, he was senator when he reserved the room, but he was a congressman on January 6th. And he was one of the few people who actually objected to uh, the seating of electors after after the violence and riots had erupted at the state at the U.S. Capitol. Right. That left five dead, uh, over 125 injured officers as a result of it. Um, and he's still he still participated in that. So he did it beforehand of kicking this off to try and say that there could be a question uh, that, that Mike Pence could use as a reason to toss out the, uh, the rightful electors and use these fraudulent ones. Uh, he objected to try and keep that going. Uh, and then even a week later, Scott Fitzgerald specifically was part of that cover-up attempt of saying, you know, it may have actually been Democrats who were at the Capitol trying to, part, trying to make this riot go, right? Complete uh, fabrication of uh, what is actually going on. So he absolutely must be held accountable. I think his is the most egregious, even though he's a, he's a new congressman. But you're right. Uh, Tom Tiffany um, also was there objecting to the seating of electors, objecting even though he knew uh, who had won. Um, and uh, this, this guy who wants to be a congressman was there, right, was there in support. And they could not have done it without him there. So, yes, this is something that needs to be. And I, uh, I will correct one thing you said um, you know, Josh Call could, and he, Josh Call, the attorney general of the state, may be well investigating this, but he has not uh, said one way or the other if he is. But I, I do hope that he is, or the DA of Dane County, or uh, eventually, if not them, a special prosecutor, uh, brings these guys to justice. Um, voter fraud is a huge problem in this case. So, Senator, um, you've heard of Madison, uh, Representative Madison Cawthorn in North Carolina. This is not a new idea. There was another kind of pro-democracy group that, um, you know, is, re- is trying to get to the bottom of whether or not, uh, you know, Cawthorn in North Carolina or others um, actually committed s- a sedition or insurrection because 
we have something called Section 3 in Article 14 of the U.S. Constitution that says, basically, if if you try to, right. you know, if you try to be a traitor against our country, you can't run for office again. So the question is, we got to get to the I mean, if it, you know, it seems like Fitzgerald is the biggest smoking gun in this. But in order to kind of go through the process of potentially seeing if they did commit uh, you know, insurrection or aided and abetted folks who did, which is part of this uh, article, you know, Section three, Article 14, we got to figure that out before the primary elections in in August. Right. 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 And um, yeah, I think that the case of Madison Cawthorn is, is pretty clear uh, of, of offering um, possibly uh, of offering tours of folks who ended up going on to uh, try and overthrow the, the election by invading this, the U.S. Capitol. Um, and so, yeah, this is in the books for a very good reason, which is if you are trying to overthrow our democracy, then you do not uh, and should not have a place in trying to decide the future within that democracy, right? This is to prevent despots and prevent those who are trying to, uh, frankly, have authoritarianism. And there has been a dangerous slide towards this, not just, unfortunately, not just in the U.S., but in, in other countries, Hungary and Poland. Um, so this is to try to prevent that in the U.S. So it's a real thing. And, and as it turns out, there's some fairly recent news on this. Uh, that we just learned here, the North Carolina Attorney General's office says that that constitutional prohibition on insurrectionists from seeking federal office could be applied to Cawthorn. Um, you know, state attorneys said that um, they rejected Cawthorn's uh, uh, argument that that the uh, that provision of the Fourteenth Amendment is a defunct Civil War era relic meant to apply only to former Confederates, uh, and in, and and is in fact uh, to this day a guard against future acts of insurrection. So, you know, I, I think we should watch that very carefully and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and see Sarah, if something like that should happen here among all these various ways that we're trying to, you know, see that justice is done. Absolutely. Well, so I'm reporting outside of Gettysburg tonight and had an opportunity to sort of dive into some history. And Chris, what's your take on this idea that uh, there's a feeling among some that if we respond to this and take it seriously, we'll empower it. And it's so ridiculous what the insurrection has tried to do, uh, trying to overthrow an election. And it's so sophomoric. It's almost like the crazy person on the corner of a street ranting and raving. You don't stop and try to reason with them because, you know, you know what you're dealing with. How much of that do you think is playing a role here in sort of the the time it has taken uh, to hold these people accountable, the sort of this fear of holding people accountable, uh, actually empowering their efforts. Right. No, you, you are exactly right, Sarah. And I, I get that there is that um, there is that, uh, you know, human, human inclination to just hope that the problem goes away. You know, as I'm talking to you and I'm sure listeners can probably tell I'm driving, um, you know, if it, if the check engine light comes on and I think most people in Wisconsin, that's happening, right. Uh, your first instinct is to think, well, gosh, I hope that goes away. Um, so I don't have to deal with it. Um, and so some people may have that inclination to think, oh gosh, let's just hope that this problem disappears. But unfortunately with, with these folks, if you ignore it, right. If the check engine light keeps coming on, keeps coming on, uh, you're going to have even more of a problem on your hands. And in this case, these are, these are people, this isn't a machine. Uh, these are people. And unfortunately, they are testing the fences to see what they can get away with, right? Like the raptors in, in uh, Jurassic Park. And if they're allowed to get away with this, uh, they're going to do it again. 
And it's not a, a question of, of if, it's just a, a question of when, because if they get away with it with no consequences, with nobody held, being held to the law, uh, they will absolutely do it again until, and this is the scary part, until they're successful. So absolutely, you have to hold these guys accountable. And it, I, you know, you tell me, you guys uh, follow this, I think, uh, very clearly close, closely, maybe closer than I do. Um, you got to tell me if the shoe were on the other foot, right? If Democrats had done something like this, how high pitched that how would be and how much they would be going to the to the uh, mattresses uh, well, we against know, Democrats. We know the answer to that, Chris. We know the answer. If this is if this had gone the other way around, the firing squads would already be getting organized. Right, right, yeah. right. So, yeah. So this is this is a matter of law and fairness. So, Senator, uh, one more question here, and I think we'll probably have to go to a commercial break. But so, you know, we've heard and, you know, I've I've been writing about this. Uh, the New York Times, Merrick Garland says, you know, at the pressure of uh, federal Democrats are like, don't worry, I'm looking into all this stuff. Um, I'm thinking you know, this gang of four is what I call them, like. I'm not sure if Merrick Garland and the and the Justice Department's uh, you know looking into these guys. Uh, don't you think it's up to Attorney General Josh Call or Wisconsinites to kind of push the envelope here instead of, instead of let time run out? And we've and got we about got, 45 Chris, you seconds. got about 15 seconds to give us an answer here. Sure. Yes, absolutely. Um, I do think that they should look at it in terms of state law too, because this is an open shut book, uh, a case of fraud, right? And so, yes, the Attorney General should. Um, and I will say, Josh Call is a professional. He is somebody who's doing what he should, which is not giving away if there's an investigation one way or the other, which there is, you, you know, un, uh, which is what it should be. So okay. I hope that he is. But um, yeah, we'll see. All right. Senator Larson is going to stick with us through the break. And uh, we'll be joined by another guest to talk more about teacher recruitment and retention next. You're up north. Let me die. Teach your children well. Cause their father's hell did slowly go by. And feed them on your dreams. The one they fix. The one you know. Welcome back to the cabin. This is the Up North Podcast. I'm Pat Kreitlow, along with Kirk Bankstead and Sarah Yacoub. Senator Chris Larson is still with us. And Kirk, I, uh, I'm going to let, let you keep picking the music because you didn't even get the, uh, the, you know, the, the well-worn 45 version. You, you found something fresh there. Good, good on you, man. Actually, before we go, okay, it's going to be five seconds, but yes, this was an older version where these guys got together on a reunion and it sounded so sweet and pretty. It was even better than the old one. So yes, you're right. There you go, Sarah. <laughs> yes. Um, love the music. In this segment, we'd like to welcome the president of the WEAC, the Wisconsin Education Association Council, our statewide teachers union, Peggy Wirtz Olson, who will help us dig deeper into bills introduced this week by Senator Chris Larson. Senator Jeff Smith of Eau Claire and Assembly Representative Jody Emerson of Eau Claire to address the massive staffing shortages in Wisconsin's K through 12 schools. Welcome, Peggy. Uh, well, thanks. It's great to be here. All right, Peggy. So I, I'm sure it's no secret to anybody living in Wisconsin, especially parents, that we're going through a huge, massive statewide teacher shortage. And uh, before, so we, before we have Senator Larson kind of talk about all these proposals to address this, I wanted to kind of have you uh, set the stage for, you know, why 
why are we having a teacher shortage now? What has led up to this over the past decade? And, and maybe give, give us some statistics of actual, you know, people, teachers leaving the profession in Wisconsin. You bet. Well, we know that 10 years ago, the state destroyed this, the teacher compensation system in Wisconsin. And since then, educator salaries have plummeted. Insurance co-pays have skyrocketed, as have deductibles. So that pay gap has continued to widen. All of that has contributed to the teacher shortage. We also know that the absences that we've seen, the substitute teacher shortage has only exacerbated the situation um, throughout the pandemic, which really has led to most recent numbers from the National Education Association survey. They conducted a poll back in January and 55% of educators in, uh, in the profession are thinking about leaving teaching. That's a staggering number for me. It, it is. And it, this is a, a generational and frankly, from in the, from the standpoint of public schools, not just a generational, it may be an existential issue. And that's just the way that certain people want it to be. Uh, Senator Larson, you're still with us as well. And I know we're going to get to the bills in a second, but I thought I'd, I'd turn to you on this question as well, because you talk to your constituents, you talk to teachers. Um, what kinds of things are you hearing in, in your district about uh, the, the teachers there, their satisfaction, their their you know, feeling unappreciated or want to leave or, or maybe we're all wrong. Maybe everybody in your district's very happy. Um, I mean, I, I, I'd like to think the folks in my district are, are pretty happy, but on this, no, they're, they're very, uh, there's a lot of discontent, right? And it's not just teachers. It is parents. It is uh, those who have a teacher in their family, which um, if you think about it, right, is probably just about everybody in the state, right? If you have a teacher in your life, and you haven't asked them, um, ask them how things are going um, in the teaching profession these days. But uh, be prepared to, to, to get a good, brutal, honest answer. Um, and that is that right now there is just there is just a lot of frustration. And um, the teachers feel frustrated, not just because the, the legislature is not giving um, them the raises that they deserve. They are not treating them with the respect that they deserve, that funds are being held up at the uh, state level, despite the surplus we talked about earlier in the broadcast. Um, but the, the real frustration comes from they're, they're doing this to uh, help kids, right? They're, most teachers, if not all teachers, they go into the profession because they love kids and they want to make a difference and see that impact in their lives. And we held a town hall uh, just a couple of weeks ago uh, with educators from across the state. And one of the, 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 the folks who was on there was an older woman and she could hear her voice crack. And she said, they know they've got us. They know they've got us because we care so much for these kids that we're going to continue to do it despite them growing class sizes, despite them underpaying us, despite them working us over breaks that we're supposed to have. Uh, and despite the, us not having the, the say in our safe workplace, they know they've got us because we care so much. It's this true. should not be a sacrifice we ask of teachers. It should be us rewarding them so then they can reward our kids with their attention and their devotion. And, and for for all of that work, the average starting salary for teachers in Wisconsin is around $36,000. Now, the, these uh, two of these provisions uh, that I, I want to ask about are um, – 
probably Peggy, not, not the things that we, you know, you necessarily would lead with, but I think they're very symbolic. Um, Chris is one of those people here that we know, we know his salary. It's $50,000 a year for a state legislator. I know that because it was, it hasn't changed. It was $50,000 when I was in the legislature uh, 15, 16 years ago. Um, but there are two of these bills establish first that public school teachers be paid as much as state legislators, which would be an, a nice little pay bump for some of them, especially since they work harder than most of the legislators, uh, you know, and that, but that's a, a whole nother topic. And then another provision establishes that public school district employees receive the same health benefits as state legislators. And uh, so, Peggy, talk about the the pay and the benefits, and it, it certainly proves a point. But it's not that we're here just to you know take a swipe at the legislators, but it, it's more to speaking about what kinds of conditions your members are dealing with. You bet. Well, you know, really moving that pay threshold to fifty thousand dollars for starting teachers would be a tremendous um, pay increase. Where we've we've got educators in various districts who are starting in the high twenties and low thirties. Um, those folks are coming out of out of a university program, likely um, where they've got student loan debt to to pay for, right? So they're they're starting into a profession where they're not making um, they're not making a, a windfall, so to speak. They're also starting in a profession where many places have destroyed any sort of salary um, schedule or compensation model, right? So you might start in a profession and make a low wage and think, all right, well, as I work through this profession, it's you know I will continue to see raises. That is um, a myth um, in a lot of districts across the state. So with this proposal, a teacher with a master's degree and 20 years experience would earn $100,000. And then there's multipliers and additives built into the system to ensure educators are not paid less than they currently earn. So again, it's kind of a haves and have nots situation across Wisconsin. We have districts that, that maintained a salary schedule and districts that didn't. So depending on where you start, um, that can dramatically impact what your salary could look like in five years or 10 years or 15 years. I'm really interested in a couple of bills, um, Chris or Peggy, uh, whichever one to, to weigh in, you know, the amount of time that we expect from teachers outside of the classroom that's not compensated for is it, just astounding. So this first bill uh, requires each school board to ensure that a teacher's daily schedule includes paid preparation time of at least 45 minutes or one class period, whichever is greater. And the second bill says that educator duties outside of the classroom instruction are voluntary and compensated. So, you know, with this idea, our teachers are professionals, they're not babysitters. And if schools would like them to do more than teach, the state should pay for it. Uh, this doesn't sound controversial or wild, but why isn't this already the case? Well, that's, you raise a great point, Sarah. So I, I'm, I'm so pleased, right, to work with legislators who took the time to do a town hall with us a few weeks back and have been listening to educators, not just this year, but in, you know, in, in years past, they understand the circumstances. It doesn't seem ludicrous to be asking for this, but 45 minutes of educator controlled prep time feels like a windfall when you're in the classroom, especially now during the pandemic, where you might 
have had a little break in your day, but you have no subs in the building. And so that little break in the day is you covering a FIAD class or, you know, another high school English class down the hallway for you. So, you know, in, in terms of um, what that could mean in real space for, for preparing for students and making sure that you have moments to even, even grade the last set of um, tests that came in is huge. As is that increasingly um, that increasingly important pay for outside duties, right? So um, now we have no lunchroom supervisor, or you know, kids on the playground are out there unsupervised. So it, in the ten minutes that you had to run to the restroom, you're out there on the playground, or you're covering um, you're covering in the lunchroom, really to ensure that educators are paid during those those times means something. Quite honestly. A break in the day seems um, to to many people who don't work in the field of education as as not a big deal. Um, and and to me and my colleagues, you know, five minutes um, sometimes in the middle of the day can can seem like a, enough time to eat your lunch. Okay, Peggy. So I wanted to get to this uh, one of these the fifth provision here, um, which is having a teacher uh, be uh, a representative on a school board. And this to me, I, I'm glad I get to ask this question because, because you know, the Super PAC, you know, did our best to fight against these crazy folks that were coming to school board meetings and demanding to unmask the kids when the CDC said we needed to put masks on them. And then now they're demanding to not teach critical race theory, uh, you know, and so we have these a lot of school boards around the state who've got zero experience in education or teaching who are making demands on on school districts. So it seems absolutely, absolutely uh, uh, wise to to make sure that you have a teacher on a school board. And I, and I, I want to get your response on that. But they also I wanted to have Senator Larson talk about what that means from a representation standpoint, given the fact that he's representing constituents. You you bet. Well, I'll, I'll jump in and then I'll hand it over to Senator Larson. Well, right. So so educators are the ones in the classroom every single day. And, and you started this segment by really talking about doing what's best for kids. And so in that decision making space, um, having that representation would be huge, right? To be to be in on the board or at that board meeting. Uh, in most districts, um, I know a lot of educators who go to those school board meetings. And sometimes when you're the only educator at the meeting, they'll stop and, and address you or ask you about some things. To really encourage that or legislate that, I think would be a huge deal to have that voice in the room as, as decisions are happening. Senator Larson. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that that's it. That's exactly why we did it. And uh, the number of folks who come before, uh, even today we had the Senate Education Committee, and it seemed like every other person who was coming up to speak um, felt it necessary to say that they, they were speaking for a whole set of other people that were not there. And I think if on school boards, this is happening all the time. So actually being able to uh, look over and hear from somebody who is in the classroom working with kids day in, day out, it can tell you what's actually happening, not in a philosophical way, but to say, here's what this really looks like and what the impacts of these policies are, what the impacts of budget cuts will mean. Um, I think it, everyone would benefit from that, um, which is why we, we wrote this and why it's one of them that I think I'm uh, I'm, I'm excited about all of them, but it is about making sure that professional teachers have a say 
uh, in what's happening with our kids. Hey, Chris, I just want to uh, clarify on the bill, because I don't think this came up uh, in the setup to this. This is educator representation on school boards in a non-voting capacity. Because I, I can hear people saying, wait, that's why we have school board elections. We're, we're basically just making sure that there's a voice at the table. It's not that they're taking somebody else's elected seat, right? Correct. Yes. And if folks are very interested, they can check out. We have uh, links on my um, uh, Facebook page. You can dive into the, some of this legislation a little bit deeper. Um, but yeah, it has a provision for how these elections would go and uh, how a person would be seated, the length of terms, et cetera. But you're correct. They would not have a, a, a voting capacity, um, you know, at this time. So, um, Peggy, what can you tell us about the effect on the psyche of teachers for this sort of vitriolic, politicized hatred? And so parents, we love our kids' teachers on the one hand, and they're in our community. And on the other, there's a huge political push or culture, if you will, and just listen to Trump's kids for five minutes and you're, you know, (laughs) you think teachers are evil. How is that affecting teachers going through this? I'm glad you asked this question, right? Because it, it feels to us um, that um, teachers got stuck in the middle, right? Between um, between a rock and a hard place with with the pandemic, with the mask mandates, with you know all kinds of things. And I I, I think it's easy um, for some folks to want to put them there and to make teachers somehow the enemy. Um, when when my colleagues and I uh, are definitely not that, uh, you know, we're we're celebrated members in most communities, and and it can be it can feel isolating. It can feel very demoral, demoralizing um, to be in that space. At the end of the day, um, most parents really support teachers. And we know that, that it, it's, it's a loud vocal minority. But when that, when that comes right at you, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a tough day. It is. And we, so we should, um, you know, make the point that, uh, you know, the, these, again, these are neighbors, these are these are members of the community. I know in in uh, in editorial meetings uh, over at Up North News, we've talked about um, you know maybe one of the things we should be doing this year is rather than just covering you know the screaming fits at school board meetings is you know more more profiles of teachers of staff of of the other educators there who are simply trying to do their best even as they're being accused of. Uh, all kinds of terrible things by people who are, you know, stuck in right-wing echo chambers. So changing that perception and also just these other things that would help, again, it's about recruiting and retaining teachers. And if they can see uh, that there's a state that's actually putting some of these rules into place, uh, that would give us the next generation of, of, of educators that we need uh, so badly. So Peggy Wirtz Olson, Senator Chris Larson, we appreciate your time so much. Uh, thank you very much for being with us uh, tonight. Thank we you. Will- thank you so. Thank you so much for covering this. We thank appreciate you. it. We will, we will be back to wrap up the show in just a moment. to thank our hosts over at News Talk Double Radio 92.7, the Shaw 101.1 FM and uh, Walk 540 AM and uh, also the Devil Radio app where you can listen to the show on demand. On weekends, you can catch us at our website, upnorthpodcast.com or all the usual places you subscribe to podcasts. You can watch us on YouTube by searching for Up North Podcast. 
The video version is on the Facebook page of the Monaco Brewing Company. And uh, you can find the work done by me and my team of reporters on a daily basis at upnorthnewswi.com or search upnorthnewswi on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Kirk. All right. So we've just been talking about uh, education for the last uh, last 20 minutes or so. And, it, I, you know, we always try to end up on a, on a, on a positive note. And uh, me, my memory of, of Wisconsin public schools when I was going through the system in you know up till 1995 is pretty darn good uh and so i wanted to kind of go around the table and ask you know what who what was your favorite teacher what was the, the best moment in school we all think we all went to public schools here um so that we can kind of remember why they're so important so i'll lead off um basically i was at spash stevens point area senior high and somehow or another for four years i was able to take choir vocal vocal jazz chamber singers and and a band and band class like four of my periods every day were music classes and they had the teachers to actually teach all those classes four different teachers taught four different music classes and i was like i don't think this is even exists today in wisconsin but what a wealth of opportunity i had uh when i was growing up sarah so um my parents moved from new york to california my dad found a great house that was unusually affordable in Arcadia, which had wonderful schools, only to come to find out we were the unincorporated part of Arcadia, which meant we were in the Almonte schools. So I went to Rio Hondo and was blessed with uh, music teacher, Mrs. Henderson and fourth and fifth grade, Mrs. Sweet. Um, but similar situation where the exposure to music and the experience just planted a seed uh, that I, I couldn't have asked for better. And, and it is such a, a neat experience, uh, excited for my kids to go through the public school system. Pat, what do you remember? It will not surprise you to find out that my favorite teachers were my English teachers um, in middle school. It was, of course, the, the, the feared, uh, the dreaded uh, Miss Wedge, who had no... Uh, patience for anybody who hadn't done their homework. Uh, she was without a doubt, uh, probably one of the, uh, not, not on a lot of people's list of favorite teachers. I couldn't get enough of her because she clearly wanted people to be good at, at writing and appreciating, uh, what they were reading. And then in, in high school, uh, Ms. Hansen and Mr. Strandquist, uh, were great teachers, but they also, uh, helped me set up and create a high school radio station over the intercom system, which leads me to a story about a, another teacher um, that probably is, is more associated with me than the other teachers. Uh, so we started this uh, radio station at Apple Valley High School in the, the Twin City suburbs. And I learned quickly the, the power of radio uh, and, and what, you know, what you can do to really make an impression on people, sometimes in a, in a good way, um, sometimes not. On April 1st, I made an announcement like all the other announcements, but I then in the announcements said, would the owner of a, and I forget, it was a little car. It wasn't a Volkswagen Beetle, but it was some little car. Would the owner of such and such a car uh, please come down to the parking lot uh, where the car has been turned upside down? Well, that car belonged to Mr. Smith, uh, a math teacher. And he, of course, went running and there was no car turned upside down. Of course, it was an April Fool's trick. You'd think that's the end of the story. It's not because Mr. Smith was also the football coach. So about an hour later, 
the football team shows up at one of my classes and escorts me to the courtyard in the lobby and duct tapes me to a post where I stayed for the next hour or so until Mr. Smith got his apology. Um, I had that coming, but I'll, I'll have that story forever. So... Oh, that was pretty good, Pat. I didn't expect to get one out, of, get that out of you. Uh, way to go, man! That, uh, that's, again, I'm never going to forget that too. A visual of you getting wrapped up with duct tape. <laughs> I have the picture. I'll, I'll show it sometime. Uh, with that, it's time for us to go. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Kirk. Thanks to Senator Chris Larson and Peggy Wirtz Olson. Thank you for joining us at the cabin. Uh, and unless I'm tied to a post someplace, uh, we'll see you again next week. You're up north. Washington.